Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. This is the last episode of the Goal Line Podcast for the 2021-2022 NFL season. And I, I find that crazy. This is the first full NFL season where I had this podcast. Here we are on more than 40 episodes. I mean, that's just crazy. And it's coming up on a year. I'm pretty sure I started the podcast on like sometime early in April. I remember it was around the Sam Darnold trade. It might have been like late March, actually. I, I think it was early April. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, I'm not going to talk about the last game of the season, a.k.a. the Super Bowl between the Bengals and the Rams, although it seems like a really good game. And anyone that listened to my podcast episode from last week would know this episode is going to be a pretty special one. And for those of you that didn't listen to last week's podcast, if you want to hear about the Super Bowl and my takeaways from the conference championship games and you want to hear me talk about Tom Brady's retirement, some of the head coach hirings, check that episode out because I'm not going to talk about the Super Bowl in this one. I talked about that last week. This week's episode, because the season's just about to end, I think it's fair for me to give out my awards for the season. And not just my awards, I also made a team of the players that I think played the best this year that's going to be the later half of this podcast first I want to start by talking about my awards of course I got the usual ones defensive rookie of the year defensive player of the year uh offensive player of the year MVP I renamed it player of the year and I'm going to do that that's going to be the last award that I say but the reason I'm doing this is because I don't really like the way that the NFL honors does it it seems like too much of a popularity contest. And I mean, it's fine. But personally, I, I feel like they could do a much better job. And here I am. I'm doing their job for them. I I think I could be a much better judge than those, what is it, like 30 guys who vote on each award? Like, I, I think I do a much, well, obviously, I think I do a much better job. And I hope you guys agree. I I'm going to give you a really in-depth look at what makes each player worth each award. And that's something that you don't really get with the NFL honors, right? Because like I said, 30 different people, 30 different criterias for each award. You never really understand a consistent reason for someone to win a certain award. Like last year, was I the only one that had a big problem with Justin Herbert winning offensive rookie of the year over Justin Jefferson? Am I the only one? Is that only me? Maybe it is, but I would like to talk to whatever judges voted on Justin Herbert winning it over Herbert or over Jefferson because personally, I don't understand it from my view you have one of the best offensive, you have one of the best rookie seasons for a wide receiver ever, if not the best at the time. Yet, here's a quarterback that 
I, I, I'm not going to act, act like Justin Herbert's rookie year was bad because it was definitely a great year, but it wasn't the record-breaking, groundbreaking type of season that Justin Jefferson had. I just want to see some consistency in it. And with this, the, th- the huge advantage I think I have over the NFL honors is if you're listening to it, you're going to understand why I pick each player for each award. Something that you don't get from the NFL honors. So let's start with the first award. Defensive Rookie of the Year. This one's a pretty obvious one. And I'm starting off with an obvious one just to get it out of the way. We all know who it is. Micah Parsons. The man's a beast. The man is a beast. What he has done this year just absolutely phenomenal. Parsons is what Isaiah Simmons was supposed to be. But he's way better at pass rushing than people could have even imagined Isaiah Simmons would be. Despite only 283 pass rush attempts, he had 13 sacks, 40 hurries, 36 quarterback hits, 65 pressers, and to put that all into perspective, out of anyone with 200 or 200 or more rushes, pass rushes, he was by far the best in hurry percentage, quarterback hit percentage, and presser rate. By the way, for the presser rate one, he was ahead of who was in second, T.J. Watt, by 5.6%. His presser rate was 24. That's almost a quarter of the time. That means if you have four snaps with him pass rushing, he should win at least one of those. That is insane. And then here, here's the big, here's something that makes it even more special. Of course, he, he was best at pass rushing, without a doubt. He was at his best when he was blitzing and the other team was passing. Un, undoubtable. But he could also line up as an outside linebacker. He could play in the middle of the field. Hell, he lined up all over the place. Even when he was blitzing, sometimes it would be in the A-gap. Other times it would be all the way on the edge. Other times he would line up as the middle linebacker, and then he would just blitz. And, yeah, these are simple things. You know, a a lot of players, you know, line up a middle linebacker, then blitz. A lot of players line up in the A-gap. A lot of players line up on the edge. But my point is he could do everything. That's why the Isaiah Simmons comparison comes out. Because he is able to do everything at a really high level. What he did this year is just, oh my God. 36 quarterback hits, 65 pressers, 40 quarterback hurries. 13 sacks. I mean, come on. Insane. As a rookie. As a rookie. This guy was... There was one point where he was thrown into the defensive player of the year conversation. 
And the annoying part of it was, it was hard to say that, it was hard to say that he shouldn't win it at the time, really. The guy had a phenomenal year. Unbelievable. Like, no one else in this draft class even stands close to him, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And it took a little while for him to really get going because Dallas was trying to make him do a little bit of everything, like I said. But I think their approach towards the end of the year was way better, where they had him blitz most of the time, and then you would have him, you know, play off ball linebacker a little bit when it's needed. Because here's the big advantage of having a player like that. He's so dominant when he's rushing that you would have to double team him. Problem is, if you are planning on double teaming a guy that's dropping back into coverage, (laughs) you're wasting two blockers. And that's the problem. You never know what... Micah Parsons is going to do. That's why he's such a dominant defender. That's why his rookie season, he was exposing opposing offenses on a repeated basis because other teams don't really have the option to double team him. And even if they do, you got you got Randy Gregory, you got DeMarcus Lawrence, you got Carlos Basham. If you double team Parsons, who's going to block Randy Gregory, who's going to block Demarcus Lawrence? Micah Parsons just causes so many problems for the opposing offense. He he has to be considered the undebatable, undisputed, unanimous defensive rookie of the year. No one else even holds a candle. My honorable mentions, if I had to pick any, and yet again, Micah Parsons is leagues above them. Jevon Holland, who I was really high on him going into the draft. I said he should have been drafted over Trevon Morig. A lot of people disagreed, and the Dolphins clearly didn't. They took him over Trevon Morig. A lot of people gave them shit for it. I disagree. And I mean, I as of right now, it seems like I was right. Jevon Holland did everything for Miami. He had two interceptions. He had four sacks. He had 11 quarterback hits. He had 66 tackles. He had seven tackles for loss. He was a safety that did everything. He could pass rush, like I said, with the four sacks. He could play coverage, two interceptions, man. You know, he could be that, like, box safety guy. Even though, like, he's a thinner guy, too. Like, he's not overly big. When I saw him, I I mean, I knew he was a good tackler in college. But I wasn't like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's someone I'm willing to put in the box as a box safety. I thought that would be one of his major weaknesses, in all honesty. But he could do it. Seven tackles for loss. 66 tackles. Like, he he was in the box. They they lined him up in the box a decent amount. They had him blitz a lot. They Brian Flores, and it sucks that he's not getting a head coaching job. Man, that sucks. But... Brian Flores used Jevon Holland in a very unique way that I wasn't expecting at all. Jevon Holland Holland had a great rookie year, and a lot of that was Flores, you know, doing 
every single possible thing he could with the guy. Now, my other honorable mention for defensive rookie of the year, Pat Sertain. The jump from college to the NFL is harder for cornerbacks than most other positions. So Sertain only allowing 50 point or 51.9% completion rate on the season is no small feat. Even though that's considered like around, eh, actually, no, that's better than the league average. A lot better, actually. But like, you don't see rookies do that much. Especially someone that's on the field as much as Sertain was. Like, he had a great year. He was able to hold his own, which is not something you expect from rookie cornerbacks. Rookie cornerbacks are, the majority of the time, a liability for your team, no matter when you drafted them. Sertain wasn't, and that's why I give him a lot of credit for putting up somewhat average numbers and having a somewhat average season. Because if you're average at the cornerback position in your rookie year, you're going to have a great future. Great future. Look at A.J. Terrell. I mean, he wasn't even average his rookie year. Like, he was he was bad. And now he, he's arguably the best cornerback in football. Now, offensive rookie of the year. Jamar Chase. Come on, you can't debate this. I, I'm expecting the NFL honors to mess this up. You know that? Although it seems like a no-brainer pick Jamar Chase, I just think there's a lot of quarterback bias there. A lot. Of course, there's none of that on the Goal Line Podcast because the Goal Line Podcast is the best form of football media known to man. <laughs> but, I mean, Jamar Chase, unbelievable rookie year. Unbelievable. 81 receptions, 1,455 yards, and 13 touchdowns. And he's in the playoffs playing in the Super Bowl this Sunday. And he's been a key reason that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl right now. He's been huge for them in the playoffs. Unbelievable. What he's been able to do, right? This has been like such a roller coaster season for him somewhat, right? Because, I mean, preseason start. Let's start all the way at the beginning, not even preseason. So, of course... He wins the national championship with LSU. Yeah, great. His quarterback goes away, you know, enters the draft, gets drafted by Cincinnati. And, you know, Jamar Chase doesn't play his last year in college. And he still declares for the draft. And a lot of people expect the Bengals to take a offensive lineman. Because, I mean, they need an offensive line. And they still need it. That's one of the big weaknesses on the team still that the Rams are definitely going to exploit on Sunday. But the Bengals really need an offensive line. Penny Sewell seemed like a generational offensive lineman, generational prospect on the offensive line. And they could have drafted him. They could have. They were like, no, we see Jamar Chase. We see that he has potential to have the best rookie season for a receiver in NFL history. So let's take him. I mean, he has he has chemistry with Joe Burrow. Let's bring him in. And just so much Boo, that was a terrible choice. That was stupid. You know, just so much bashing from the media. And I think it was deserved. I was another one of the people that bashed them for it. 
And I liked him. I liked Jamar Trace during the draft process, during the scouting process. I was high on him, decently high. He wasn't my number one receiver. I don't think he was my number two either. I'm pretty sure I had, I know I had Bateman one, which didn't age well. And then Jalen Waddle, I liked more. But then Jamar Chase was my three. Them taking him one, I, I mean, of course it's hard to say with hindsight. Because the pick already aged incredibly. But, yeah, no, I, I gave them shit for it. I didn't like it. I didn't like the pick. Because Sewell was still there. If Sewell wasn't there, different story. But he was. And everyone, including me, thought that that would have been the right move. So he gets drafted, and like I said, everyone passes him. And, you know, preseason camp, training camp starts up. A lot of reports, Jamar Chase dropping balls. Jamar Chase not really playing like the top 10 pick that he was drafted to be. Then, you know, preseason starts. And in the games, too, he's dropping these easy passes. And everyone's just saying, oh, next big bust at receiver. Horrible. Not going to be able to last in this league. They sort of took Sewell. Just more and more bashing comes out. More and more dissing towards the Bengals. More and more, you know, this is why the Bengals are going to be a three-win team. Then the season starts. Completely different story. Jamar Chase is out there doing everything that the Bengals drafted him to do. If not more. The thing that surprised everyone the most about Jamar Chase was he he was he was a do-it-all receiver. He was a jack of all trades. Which in college he didn't he didn't necessarily look like that. He looked like Oh, I'm not going to beat you with great route running. I'm just going to beat you with physical ability. I have the physical ability to go toe-to-toe with these, you know, high-caliber cornerbacks because he was a physical specimen in college, and he still is. But the big difference between then and now is that now he has the route running. Now he has the brains. Now he has the hands to pair with it. That's why this guy's the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous offensive weapons in football. That's why Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase is going to be the next Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. That's why this is the next big receiving duo, or next big quarterback receiver duo. Because you have a receiver that could do anything you want. You need someone to pick apart zones with great route running and, you know, being smart enough to know where to just plant your feet and look towards the quarterback. He could do it. You need someone to just beat a cornerback one-on-one. He could do it without a doubt. You need a two-minute drive. Uh, you're inside a two-minute drill, and you're down by three. You got Jamar Chase. Just keep throwing him the ball. He can do anything. That's why he's so dangerous. And the chemistry he has with Burrow, uh, 
just such a big advantage. Such a big advantage. So honorable mentions. Mac Jones, obviously. I mean, he's played pretty well. Without a doubt. I, I mean, not the flashiest pick, but he's good. He, he's a good quarterback. 3,801 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He's a good quarterback. Like, there's not much more to say. He executes the offense how Belichick and Josh McDaniels wanted him to. He got the job done. And he'll, he'll be better. Uh, obviously, for a rookie quarterback, he's going to improve. I I mean, I'm. It, can, it almost sounds like I'm bashing him. I, I'm trying to give him credit. Like, everyone knows what he is, though. He's... Alex Smith, he's, you know, just a game manager quarterback. He's never going to do much more than just execute. And that's fine. My other honorable mention, Creed Humphrey, someone that has not been getting the respect that he deserves just because he's a rookie center, which is possibly the least flashy thing that you could possibly be. Because not only are you an offensive lineman, you're an offensive lineman in the middle of four other offensive linemen. No one is really watching Chiefs games, ignoring Patrick Mahomes, ignoring Travis Kelsey, ignoring Tyreek Hill, and being like, oh yeah, Creed Humphrey is the reason that I watch Chiefs football. But he's a great player. If you actually are willing to look at the offensive line for even a split second, especially the center of all people, you would know. Like, Creed Humphrey is a real deal. For him to be a rookie and do what he's doing right now, like, he is manhandling some of the top nose tackles in football. Like, he's great. He is spectacular. What he's been able to do for a rookie, he got overlooked because he's a center. But, I mean... He's a huge reason that in that Bills game, or in that Bengals game, too, the Chiefs were just dominating the line of scrimmage, at least running the ball, which I don't really understand why the Chiefs stopped running the ball. Honestly, I think that they should have ran a lot more in that Bengals game. But that's besides the point. The Chiefs run game, was working because Creed Humphrey, because of Joe Thune. Those two, that they were single-handedly the reason that the Chiefs were able to run the ball so well all year. And they weren't a great running team, but that's because their running backs were Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jarek McKinnon. Creed Humphrey, not exactly the sexiest pick for offensive rookie of the year. And of, I don't have him winning it. But, hey, I think he at least deserves it more than Mac Jones, right? And not a pass on Mac Jones yet again. But, I mean, I've never seen a rookie center play the way that Humphrey has. Like, this is a great season for him. And he'll be a huge building block for that Chiefs offense, which already has so many other building blocks. So, let's move over to Rookie of the Year. This is just going to be between the two, you know, other rookies that I picked. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. It's obvious. So, this is basically between Jamar Chase and 
Micah Parsons, both of which had a great year, phenomenal year. But, I mean, I was talking about Micah Parsons, and Jamar Chase was so good too. But what Micah Parsons has been able to do, my God, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how he's able to just line up anywhere in his rookie year and play at not just an NFL level, at an elite NFL player level. He's an elite off-ball linebacker. He's an elite pass rusher. He's an elite A-gap defender. It's shocking how he could do all this in his rookie year. I'm not going to go too in-depth with this because Micah Parsons' name is going to appear a lot today. And I I need to save a little bit of stuff to talk about him later (laughs) because I have him in one other one of these awards, and I also have him on the All-NFL team, which I know it's so surprising that a – Defensive Player of the Year candidate is on my all-NFL team. Like, I, did I spoil something? I, I hope that that didn't catch anyone off guard. And if that did catch you off guard, how? All right, anyway. Offensive Player of the Year. This one's an obvious one for me. Cooper Cup, how could it not be? One thousand and nine hundred forty-seven receiving yards in the regular season, with one hundred and forty-five receptions, sixteen touchdowns, and that's only in the regular season. Postseason, twenty-five receptions, four touchdowns, three hundred and eighty-three yards. So far, there's still a, one more game for him to play. Insanity, I tell you. Yet again, not the flashiest guy. He's not. He isn't. Like, he doesn't... He's not constantly breaking defenders' ankles, but super smart player. Great route runner. Although not great enough to, you know, make these highlight plays. But, you know, when Stafford needs a play, he can do it. When Stafford needs someone to, you know, get that solid five-yard gain, Cup could do it. He needs someone to go across the middle, get absolutely killed by a linebacker while catching the ball. Cooper Cup could do it. Cooper Cup, he can't do these elite playmaker things like Moss, one of the best defenders in the league. He can't do that. I'm not going to act like he can. And that's the somewhat of the edge that Jamar Chase has over him, at least from a talent perspective. But he is so smart. His chemistry with Steph- Stafford, Helps him a lot. He's able to do the, quote, easy stuff that you expect from a receiver. But his ability to do it so consistently in a league where consistency is very rare, especially at the receiver position, that's why he's the offensive player of the year. That's why he almost had 2,000 receiving yards this year. That's why he might be the best player in football this year. Defensive player of the year. Now, this one's kind of tough. 
And if you ask me, it's really between two players. That is Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. Of course, there's one other player that I added to the honorable mentions. But I think it's really between those two. And at first when I was writing this, I was expecting to pick TJ Watt. Problem is I looked at... Now, of course, TJ Watt is still phenomenal. I'm not denying that without it. That, that we all know TJ Watt is one of the best, if not the best, defensive player in football right now. But you know, he missed a game or missed two games, but two, 22.5 sacks. Like, that's hella impressive, especially because he missed two games. But 27 hurries as opposed to Miles Garrett's 49. 32 quarterback hits as opposed to Miles Garrett's 47. TJ Watt, 14 knockdowns. Miles Garrett, 15. Really close there. TJ Watt, 68 pressers. Miles Garrett, 83. But here's the other thing TJ Watt was better against the run. And you look at film. You would know that. it's n- That's not something you would necessarily know because of statistics. If you watch film, you would know TJ Watt was the better run defender this year. And, you know, five forced fumbles, too. And he had eight more tackles for loss. Like, this is super close, man. Super close. But it's a passing league. Cameron Hayward had more help. Miles Garrett was the reason that the Cleveland Browns defense was one of the best in football this year. TJ Watt, he was the reason that the Steelers defense was better than it would have been without him, obviously. But the Steelers defense may be average. At times, they were far below it. Sometimes, they looked super good. But you look at TJ Watt's games throughout the year, He would have some games where he had, like, four sacks, five sacks. Like, it would be like, damn, you know, that was an impressive performance. But he lacked the consistency that Miles Garrett had. That's why I give it to Miles Garrett. Yet again, TJ Watt's a better run defender, and you're not wrong if you give it to TJ Watt. It's super close, super close. But because Miles Garrett was able to do it so consistently, they did it every single game. I gotta give it, I gotta give it to him, personally. That's just how I see it. TJ Watt's still a phenomenal defender. He'll eventually win a defensive player of the year. Don't deny it. Don't, like, I don't hesitate to say that at all. I don't think that that's a hot take. But it's Miles Garrett's time. Miles Garrett had the better season. I think he deserves it more. Other honorable mention, the guy that I just mentioned three times, Micah Parsons. He can do everything. And his he was the most efficient pass rusher this year. Problem was, he didn't, he wasn't pass rushing every snap. And, you know, if he was pass rushing every snap, maybe he wouldn't have been as productive. But because TJ Watt and Miles Garrett were, you know, on there, they were playing super, super well throughout the entire year. Although, like I said, TJ Watt was a little bit inconsistent. But 
for Parsons, it was a little bit more of like a slow start. Like it was a very clear, I don't want to say slump because for a rookie, he still played well at the start of the year, but there was like a spike in the middle of the year. And from that point forward, like if you're talking about the last half of the season, Micah Parsons probably wins defensive player of the year, but we're going out through, through the entire season. The Cowboys weren't really using Micah Parsons correct. I don't want to say weren't using him correctly. Weren't using him in the most optimal way that they were using him later in the year. Which resulted in him having still phenomenal, downright tremendous season, but not quite, not quite defensive player of the year caliber. Now, this is an award that I made up, and I'm surprised that the NFL doesn't do something like it because it's such a good idea. And, I mean, yet again, Goal Line Podcast is the best possible form of NFL media, so, of course, we come out uh, come out with great ideas like this. But free agency signing of the year, I think that's a really good one. And there were three players that really came to my mind when I first thought about this. Those three, Trey Hendrickson, Cordero Patterson, Chidobi Awuzie. I'll start by talking about Patterson, and I'll go with the two back-to-back Bengals right after. So, no one expected Patterson to have this caliber of a season. No one. I don't even think the Falcons did. No, No one expected him to be this good. Or even good at all. No one expected him to have an impact on anything except special teams. But he did. One, 153 rushing attempts. 618 yards. Six rushing touchdowns. 52 receptions. 548 receiving yards. Five receiving touchdowns. For a 30-year-old that was expected to be nothing more than a special teamer, that's pretty damn good. That's a damn good stat line. Hey, I I don't know about you guys, but I expected Mike Davis to have a really good year. You know, with the Arthur Smith running the offense. Like, look at what he did with Derrick Henry. Now, I know Mike Davis isn't Derrick Henry, obviously. But I expected, you know, those same schemes to show. That same scheme that allowed for Derrick Henry to run for 2,000 yards. I expected for Mike Davis to have, you know, at least like a thousand yard season. I expected him to at least remain the lead back, but no, instead that was Cordell Patterson. And did he have the most remarkable season known to man? No, but it was incredibly surprising and it was a great signing for the Falcons. And let's not forget the Falcons were like around 500 this year. No one expected that, or no. You look at how they played, and they don't look like a 500. They don't look like a team that would finish with 500. They look like a team that would finish with, like, three wins, four wins, because they, they were damn bad. They were damn bad. But these bright spots, Cordero Patterson, Cordero Patterson Aluyukon on the defense, A.J. Terrell on the defense. Matt Ryan was pretty underrated this year. Calvin Ridley when he was actually playing. 
allowed them to actually win a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have. But, you know, Cordero Patterson was one of the main reasons that they were able to win some of these games. And if you picked him up in fantasy, good for you, man. Because you got an absolute steal. This guy was a stud in fantasy. So my other honorable mention that I want to say before I say the number one, Trey Hendrickson. So you guys know who the number one is now. 14 sacks, 43 hurries, 34 quarterback hits, 71 pressers, 17 tackles for loss. If you watch film, you would know, like, Trey Hendrickson was just an overall stud this year, right? The question for me with him was, can he be more than just a third down pass rusher? Can he play all four downs? And can he do it consistently? Can he be that pass rusher consistently? That was the question for me. Can he do it on a consistent basis? Because what he did last year was tremendous, right? He was statistically the most efficient pass rusher or one of the most efficient pass rushers in football because when he he wasn't on the field a lot, but when he was, he would have an impact. That was also because he really only came out in third downs. He wasn't necessarily a great run defender. But this year, he was able to touch it up. He was able to channel that great pass rush aspect of his game and then add a consistency to it add a consistent ability to stop the run to it, and all of a sudden you got one of the best defensive players in football. I mean, this Bengals defense, they needed players to step up. They needed players to, you know, just ball out. And Trey Hendrickson was one of those guys. Would I say he's one of the premier pass rushers in football? Depends on what you mean by premier. I wouldn't say he's, like, up there with T.J. Watt. Miles Garrett, I would not say that he's with those guys, but would I say he's with, like, the Daniil Hunters with the Joey Bosa's of the league? Yeah, I would. He's good. He's good, and it was a great signing. But I, I wouldn't say that it was some groundbreaking. They got the best defensive player in football. on a, I, And it's a big contract, too. But I'm not talking about the contract. I'm just talking about the free agent. And Trey Hendrickson is a really good player. And I can understand an argument for you putting him here. Is he quite a TJ Watt? Is he quite a Miles Garrett? No, but he's still really, really good. My number one, though, this is a guy that you could argue is one of the best corners in football. One of. I would not put him with AJ Terrell, Jalen Ramsey, but I could definitely, although I don't necessarily agree, I could definitely see an argument for him being just outside of that tier. Jadobi Awuzie, he he was damn good. He was really good. Out of nowhere, too. I mean, this entire Bengals secondary, or not entire Bengals secondary, but the entire Bengals cornerback trio, these are three guys that were not with the team last year. Jadobi Awuzie, Eli Apple, and Mike Hilton. All three of which played a lot better than people would have expected. I thought that this secondary would have been a a liability. That was one of my major reasons I had this team winning three games 
And boy, was I wrong. Here they are in the Super Bowl. But Shinobi Awuzie was a stud. Is a stud. 45.2% completion percentage allowed. 385 yards allowed. Two interceptions. Four touchdowns allowed. That's not great. But 14 pass breakups. Two interceptions. 62 tackles. Six tackles for loss. He's willing to get in there in the running game, too. Like, that's something that also really helps him. This guy was a stud, okay? This guy, no one expected him to be this good, but he was. He's one of the top, top-tier top corners in this league. And the fact that the Bengals were able to get him on that deal, I mean, it's great. It's great. Now, most improved player, there's two players that come to mind for this one. Those two are Debo Samuel, who is my honorable mention. I'll talk about him. And then number one, I'll talk about him after. But Debo Samuel, right? You look at what he did in 2020. He was injured, I know. But in six games, he got one touchdown, 391 yards, 33 receptions, eight rushes for 26 yards. And the year before that, he also wasn't overly good. But then third year in, in the league, who just talk about a breakout? A thousand three hundred and ninety-seven receiving yards, seventy-seven receptions, six touchdowns. Oh yeah, and then they decided to also use him as a running back with fifty-nine carries, three hundred sixty-five rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns. The guy's a stud, and then he was also great in the playoffs too. This is one of the most electric receivers in football. You want to talk about someone that. The second that they get their hands on the ball, it's end zone. Like, always a touchdown threat. Any play could be a touchdown with this guy on the field because that's what he does. He can make these incredible plays that really no one else can. He's one of the best yards after catch players in the league. He touched up on his route running. I think that's the big difference between him now and him in the past. He runs a much crisper. He runs a much crisper route tree now. It used to be a little bit too stiff, kinda. But now, like, it's smooth. He gets out of his breaks way quicker, and he's just played better because of it. Well, obviously. His route running just took a huge step forward, and that's the difference. I always say, route running, you don't necessarily need route running to be a good receiver, but it sure as hell helps. And I think that Route running is the most vital or the most impactful, not necessarily required, but the most impactful aspect of playing receiver. You can win without it. Don't get me wrong. You look at DK Metcalf, but if you run a good, if you run good routes, there's no reason that you cannot be a good receiver in this league unless injuries and you don't really see many receivers like struggle with drops so I think if you could you look at the top receivers in football right now you look at the best receivers in the NFL you got Devontae Adams you got Cooper Cup two of the best route runners in the NFL Justin Jefferson another amazing route runner the best receivers are the good route runners Again, you can be good without being a good route runner, 
But the second that you unlock that extra aspect of that game of your game with route running, so now you got a guy like Debo Samuel that can already make all the plays physically. Now you got him to be a good route runner. He could create separation basically at will, and all of a sudden you got a one thousand and three hundred ninety-seven yard receiver who can also play running back very well because, like I said, he's a physical demon. Just a great season for him. True breakout. And the other one, A.J. Terrell. I don't know how you could say that he's not the most improved player in football this year. 36.1 completion percentage allowed. 197 yards allowed. Three touchdowns allowed. 17 pass breakups. Three interceptions. And he was also good against the run. 80 tackles. Five tackles for loss. One forced fumble. I'm in a film review on this guy saying that he's the best cornerback in football, best cornerback in the NFL. And I still I still believe it. I think that there's a difference between him and Jalen Ramsey. They both play very different styles of football. But I think AJ Terrell's better because he can Jalen Ramsey, you know, he's a really good like zone coverage guy, right? But you put him in man, and it, it's shown. It has shown this year. He isn't necessarily. He can't lock down anyone. I'm not saying like. I'm not saying I, I emphasize the wrong word. I'm not saying, oh, he can't lock down anyone. I'm saying, he can't lock down anyone. Like. He can definitely, if you put a man-on-man on, like, Scotty Miller, man-on-man on, like, just some, like, nobody receiver or some, you know, they're solid receivers. You can put a man-on-man with Tyler Lockett, right? A pretty good receiver. John Ramsey will win that, okay? But you put a man-on-man with, like, the best of the best, Mike Evans, especially Mike Evans. You look in that Buccaneers game. He was getting roasted in man coverage against Mike Evans. He can't play man coverage against the star receivers in the league, or at least he can't play it consistently. You you could put him on an island with Mike Evans maybe four times in a 20-play drive. But you want to stray away from that. Meanwhile, A.J. Terrell, I think you could play man coverage with him every single play, and he's going to lock your guy down because that's what he did all year. On a team with a pretty bad pass rush, like their quarterback had, the quarterbacks that they were playing against had a lot of time to survey the field, but A.J. Terrell is locked down. He's the best cornerback in the NFL. At least you can make an argument for it. I made a film review on the guy. I'm not going to go too much more in depth. So this is another word I want to give out. And I made another one that I made up. Lineman of the year. Linemen don't really get enough respect. It's very difficult for linemen to win these other awards. So I'm just going to throw this one out there. Trent Williams, lineman of the year. I think most people agree with that. This guy, with Quinn and Nelson being hurt the entire, or not the entire year, but with Quinn and Nelson being hurt for a large portion of the year, and David Bakatari also injured for a large portion of the year, I think Trent Williams, it's safe to say he was the best tackle in the entire NFL. 
what he was able to do, he just dominated people on a constant basis, right? Like, oh, you're trying to run the ball? Just run behind Trent Williams. He's just going to create a pathway all by himself. With the Kyle Shanahan run-blocking scheme, just nightmares for defenses. Nightmares for defenses. Also, great pass protector, too, obviously. He was he was extremely consistent. He didn't allow many pressers. There weren't there were very few plays this year where you could look and be like, oh yeah, he got beat. Even in that 49ers game, or even in that 49ers game against the Rams where he was playing through injury. He he still played fine with Von Miller against him, with Leonard Floyd against him. He still played fine. Good enough for someone with a banged-up ankle in the playoffs, as old as he is, he's superb. Honorable mentions go to Tristan Wirfs on the Buccaneers. He's been very good. Second-year player, too. He's, he's, him and Rashawn Slater are like the two upcoming generational offensive tackles, I think. And then maybe Penny Sewell. But I, I think Rashawn Slater overshadowed him, at least this year. And then, of course, you got to have Zach Martin in here. He's whenever he's healthy, he's been so good my entire life. For as long as I can remember, he's been the best guard in the NFL. For as long as I can remember, and keep in mind, I was born in two thousand six. But I, I don't remember being able to look at offensive linemen or offensive guards and be like, "Hmm, the best guard in football." I wonder who that is because I've always known who it is. It's always been Zach Martin because Zach Martin's been playing for my entire lifespan and the Dallas offensive line has always been the gold standard. Is it that anymore? No, not really. But Zach Martin is still the golden standard of offensive guard play, of interior offensive lineman play. So there's three more awards that I want to go over. Two of which actually exist. The other one is my replacement for MVP. And the first one of these that I want to talk about is Comeback Player of the Year. I wrote down three players for this, right? Two of which being my honorable mention, then one being my actual pick. And I have a feeling the NFL is going to pick none of those three and instead pick Dak Prescott, right? So I'm just going to really quick, I'm just going to really quickly address why Dak Prescott shouldn't step anywhere near this award, okay? So you have one of the best receiver cores in the entire league with C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, and Cedric Wilson. A phenomenal offensive line unit. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Even if you don't think Zeke is that good anymore, Pollard is still... At least an RB1. Like, that is bare minimum. He's a running back one. And then you have Zeke as the backup. Even though he's lost a set, Zeke is still a good backup. So you have all that. And then you have an offensive coordinator who's apparently the best thing since sliced bread. Apparently, he's the 
you know, oh, great, Kellen Moore should have got a head coaching job this year. That Kellen Moore, this apparently phenomenal, the reincarnation of Don Shula, Kellen Moore, right? If he's all that great, and then you have this great receiver core, this very good offensive line, a solid, at worst, running back duo, And then the defense was overperforming expectations by a long shot. How how did this team not have 14, 13, 15 wins this year? Explain that to me. Am I blaming it all on Dak? No, no, absolutely not. I think that Kellen Moore is overrated severely. The offensive line's a little bit overrated, but... The defense is definitely great. I think that the defense is better than the offense, without a doubt. But the a lot of the blame is on Dak. I, I don't think you could debate that Dak is, you know, that great of a quarterback anymore. Real like the more you think about it, like what does he what does he do overly well? Right? Like, he's he's good. I'm not saying, like, oh, get rid of Dak. But you look at some of the other players that are eligible for the year, for the award this year. There are three guys I think you cannot even debate Dak Prescott should win it over. Without a doubt. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback, all right? Borderline top 10. But Joe Burrow's eligible for the award. And I cannot even think of a way that you could argue that Dak Prescott had a better season than Joe Burrow this year. Yet again, this isn't necessarily a knock on Dak Prescott. It's more of the comeback player of the year race this year is very strong. And Dak Prescott is... Not as good as Cowboys fans make him seem. So it's easy for them to become delusional and believe that, you know, Dak can compete with Joe Burrow and the other players eligible for this year, for this award. And he's not. Dak Prescott is not quite good enough to beat out Joe Burrow for this award and beat out the other two that I think should win it think could win it but that does it doesn't matter what I think because we all know Dak Prescott's gonna win it anyway it's gonna be stupid but that's what the NFL honors is gonna do because it's America's team it's America's quarterback Dak Prescott everyone loves him everyone loves the guy Dak Prescott didn't didn't you see him get injured last year oh it's so sad it's not like the same thing happened to the other three players, and everyone else eligible for the award. Such a good comeback story. It's America's quarterback coming back from a big injury just to lose in a pathetic fashion to the 49ers in the first round of the playoffs. I'm done talking about Dak Prescott. Joe Burrow, I talked about him a little bit. He's one of my honorable mentions. 70.4 completion percentage. Four above four thousand, well above four thousand passing yards. Listen, man, th- 
this playoff run, like I'm just going to state the obvious. This playoff run that the Bengals are on right now, where they're in the Super Bowl now, is still, I can't believe it. That doesn't happen without Joe Burrow completely changing the culture of the Bengals organization. It doesn't happen. Because of Joe Burrow, because of Jamar Chase, well, this is mainly about Joe Burrow, but because of that first overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft, the entire culture for the Cincinnati Bengals organization completely changed, therefore resulting in them making it to the Super Bowl this year. And he had a great season, too, like I said. Two rushing touchdowns, 14 interceptions, not exactly a number that you like to see, but still he made up for it with 4,611 yards with 34 passing touchdowns. Great year for him, man. Great, and I'm excited to see him in the Super Bowl. My other honorable mention, and this is a guy I, I thought would win it, really. I found it hard to believe that he wouldn't. Derwin James, he balled out this year. He had a better year than his rookie year this year, which that shouldn't necessarily be surprising. But you, anyone that knows how good rookie year Derwin James is will think to themselves, like, damn, that's shocking because Derwin James is a stud. 45.9 completion percentage allowed. 202 yards allowed, two interceptions, but that's just his coverage ability. Let's not forget that this guy is also one of the best box safeties in the NFL with 119 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, and three forced fumbles. He is such a good athlete that is so technically sound. I think he's by far the most underrated, not by far, but he's one of the most underrated defensive players in the entire league. And I, I don't see why he doesn't get way more respect. Because he's deserving of it. I'm telling you that much. He is super deserving of it. But my pick. And I think most of you would know this. And I think most people would agree. Nick Bosa should be winning this this award. 25 tackles for loss. 4 forced fumbles. 15 and a half sacks. 41 quarterback hurries. 34 quarterback hits. 70 pressers. He is a monster. Nick Bosa is a beast among men. Okay? Nick Bosa is not someone that should be messed around with. Nick Bosa is the star of this 49ers defense. That was a very good unit this year. And the fact that he's coming off that injury, too. Like, he's really deserving of this award. I would love to see Nick Bosa or Derwin James win it. Although, let's be honest, it's going to be one of the quarterbacks and Probably Dak Prescott, which is going to suck. I hate that that's what's going to happen, but it is what it is. Coach of the year. Honorable mention to Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur. Zach Taylor, we all know the Bengals do not really have the talent to be where they are right now, but because of Zach Taylor and because of that culture change and because of everything that happened in that locker room, they're in the Super Bowl right now. And Matt LaFleur. Listen, this Packers team, the expectations were decently high, and they reached those expectations like on the mark. 
Matt LaFleur did what he always does, and that's win games. He is the definition of winning culture. He has this talent, and he knows how to take advantage of it, man. He's a great coach. Great coach. Although the Coach of the Year award, I think, should undebatably go to Mike Vrabel. I don't think that there's a debate. I I think, like, you look at Tennessee. They sh- they do not look that good. And then you see that they're the one seed in the AFC, even though they were disappointing and lost to the Bengals in their first playoff game this year, whatever. Point is, this Bengals team is not strong enough. Spe- or, sorry, this Titans team is not strong enough, especially without... Derrick Henry to be the one seed in the AFC. This Titans team, hell, they don't even really have a playoff caliber roster, but the defense is so technically sound. Kevin Byard had a great year, and I bet that's because he put in as much time as possible with Mike Vrabel and learned the ways. That defensive scheme is designed mainly by Vrabel, and it is a great one, right? They throw all these stunts at you, but they never blitz. But they get as much pressure, if not more pressure, than a team that does blitz. Because these stunts are incredibly creative, they always send a four-man pressure. But the way that they do it is just unheard of, right? Because they have all these different players going in different directions, unexpected. You never know what you're going to see from the front four of Tennessee. Sometimes they're even going to drop back in coverage, and then a linebacker is going to blitz. But it's not really a blitz because they're still rushing for because one of their defensive linemen is dropping back into coverage. Like, it's amazing. I love it. I love this scheme, and I love this team, and I they look so well coached. And it's so visible when you watch Titans football that Mike Vrabel is the reason that they are where they are. Player of the year. Honorable mention to the two quarterbacks, Tom Brady, with five th- more than 5,000 yards and more than 40 touchdowns. And other honorable mention to Aaron Rodgers, who I bet some of you expected to win it. But no, Cooper Cup, after the year that he had, I mean, I was talking about him earlier, after that type of year, nearly record-breaking, I have to give it to him. I have to. And I'm not going to elaborate on that much more because – I was just talking about Cooper Cup earlier. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about my all-NFL team, which is my basically my all-star team for the NFL. See you after the break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. So in this part of the podcast, which... I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but I have a decent amount of time. I'm going to be going over my version of the NFL All-Star team, All-Pro team, All-NFL team, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to do 11 players on each side of the ball, obviously. No special teams because, frankly, I I didn't feel a need to do that because the NFL All-Pro team, like, I bash it a little bit. On times, but I think that they do. I think they did special teams pretty well this year. And I'm not just going to plagiarize what they said because it's the same exact thing. Exact what they said, 
was exactly what I was going to say. So there's not really a point in me just repeating what they would say. So I'm doing one quarterback, three wide receivers, one tight end, five offensive linemen, a running back, and on defense, two edges, two defensive tackles, three linebackers, two cornerbacks, and two safeties. And then there is an honorable mention for each player. So I'm going to do three honorable mention receivers, three honorable mention, or one honorable mention cornerback or quarterback, two honorable mention corners. So that makes sense. There's going to be 11 honorable mentions on both sides of the ball, basically. So I'm doing 22 players on each side of the ball. I hope that makes sense. Maybe I did a bad job explaining it. You'll get it as I go on, whatever. So quarterback. Well, before I actually go into who I have winning everything, I want you to understand my criteria for this. So I'm mainly basing this off productivity for this year. So statistics, really, which I know is boring. But I also looked a little bit at film. If it's clear to me on film that you're just a product of your team's scheme or just a product of really good weapons, I'm not going to have you... Or maybe I won't have you as, like, the star. Maybe I'll have you as an honorable mention. Whatever. If you have success in the playoffs, that's a bonus for me. So you're going to notice a lot of players that made it to the playoffs are going to be here. A lot of players that played well in the playoffs are going to be here. And, like I said, the player has to be clearly elevating the scheme. Elevating the team. If I'm watching film of you and you're just catching easy passes because you have just a dominant receiver attracting all the defenders towards him and then you're just wide open every play. I'm I'm you're not gonna be high on here. Even though you put up all those numbers, I don't care if it's just because you're a product of a very good scheme and very good talent around you. So anyway, let's move on to my quarterback. I think Josh Allen. I know that's probably a hot take. That definitely is, right? A lot of people expect, like, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. And I get that. I do. But like I said, the playoff success part of it is undeniable. Or makes that undoubtedly the pick for me, at least. Because you look at how well Josh Allen played towards the end of the year. He looked downright unstoppable. Especially in the last two playoff games. Come on. Like, really? Like, he was... That was all-time great-level performance in both of those games. The Patriots game, the other team didn't even... The The Patriots could not keep pace with the electric performance Josh Allen was having. And they threw every different look at him. They just couldn't do anything, no matter what. And then the week after that, it sucks that they lost because of a coin toss, but let's not forget about how well... Josh Allen was playing in that game. He made Gabriel Davis have the best playoff performance for a wide receiver of all time. Gabriel Davis. And let me tell you, it was not Gabriel Davis being overly talented. It was Josh Allen just throwing the ball into the perfect spot at the perfect time, doing everything perfect because that's what he was. He was perfect at the end of the year. He did everything flawlessly. Mobility, he has it. He checked every box. He was smart with the football. Didn't really turn the ball over. Arm strength, check. And the statistics, he put up great numbers. 4,407 passing yards. 
of course, running the ball. He had 763 rushing yards. He threw for 36 touchdowns. From my perspective, at least, with how I'm doing this, including playoff success, I don't really see an argument for – or not not don't see an argument, but I didn't even think or I barely even think about putting Rodgers here. The only reason I think about putting him here is because I know that's what a lot of people do, and that's fine. But personally, with my criteria and how I'm doing this, I don't think Rodgers should be here. And then you look at my honorable mention, still not Rodgers. And this is the this is the tough part. I could absolutely see Rodgers here. This one is really, really close. But the numbers that Brady put up this year, and I get it, the New Orleans game proved that he's not as valuable as Rodgers. Can, can we just ignore that? Because that's what everyone wants to do about the Saints game. On week one with the Packers, why do we... Why do we ignore that, but we don't ignore the Buccaneers game against the Saints? We ignore the Packers game against the Saints. That we ignore. But the Buccaneers getting shut out by the by the Saints. Oh yeah, that that was that was the bad game. That was the quarterback was the reason that they lost. Not not the Saints one. No, or not the Packers losing to the Saints. No, but the the Buccaneers losing to the. Saints, that's a different story. I don't get that. I don't get the lack of double standards. I, I personally don't. And then the the comeback that Brady almost led, like that was the difference for me, I think. Because you look at what Rodgers did in the playoffs. He didn't he didn't do enough. He didn't he didn't elevate his team at all, really. He didn't necessarily play bad, but he didn't elevate his team. You can't not score a touch you can't not score more than 13 points in a playoff game and expect to be here I'm sorry especially when you have Devontae Adams you have Aaron Jones you should be able to do something with that man and I get it oh all oh, oh, the supporting cast isn't good enough I, I yeah it is you have the best receiver in the NFL I hate that entire Rodgers has no help narrative. It is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and I'm not even going to debate that, okay? Because Brady almost got it done from 28 points behind with Brashad Perriman and, like, a banged-up Mike Evans and Tyler Johnson. And Scotty Miller as, like, his lead receivers. He didn't have any... Compare that to Devontae Adams? Randall Cobb, who... Yeah, whatever. Fine, he's not that good. Aaron Jones? Brady had almost nothing to work with, and he was still able to nearly lead his team to one of the best comebacks in playoff history... In the second time in his career. But that this isn't about career, okay? This year. This year, Brady played better than Rodgers, I think. Okay, because you look at the numbers that Brady put up, and then you also look at the playoff thing, which I just said. Both of them had pretty 
No, Rodgers had a good supporting cast. I don't care. Rodgers had a good supporting cast. Brady's supporting cast was not very good in the playoffs. Brady still outplayed Rodgers. In the regular season, fine. Maybe there were some weeks that Rodgers played better. The, the shutout against the Saints was definitely a bad thing. But that also happened with the Packers. So why are we just ignoring that? Person, I, I think I think Brady over Rodgers just because of the playoff part. And that's part of this for me. That's part of this for me. I think that's the difference. Okay, wide receiver. I have Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, and Devontae Adams. I, I, I think that's easy. I, I'm pretty sure that's what the AP All-Pro team has. Uh, I don't really see how you could put... Like, I want to include Justin Jefferson on this. I want to include Jamar Chase. But I, I'm not taking Debo off. I'm not taking Vontae off. I'm not. I'm definitely not taking Cooper Cup off. So this is how it stays. And I mentioned two of those honorable mentions: Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Those, those are, those are two of my honorable mentions. And then Tyreek Hill also. Come on, I, I don't think I have to elaborate on that one much. Tight end, Mark Andrews. My God, he had a great year. Great year statistically. The Ravens have they they were banged up. They were superbly banged up. They had no one, but they had Mark Andrews. They were just like, okay, Mark Andrews is clearly our best guy. Let's just feed him every play. Whether Tyler Huntley's playing quarterback, whether Lamar Jackson's playing quarterback, just feed Mark Andrews. That's our offense. We have no running backs. Our offensive line's pretty banged up. You know what? Let's just feed Mark Andrews. Our our defense ran out of cornerbacks at one point in the season. But at least we have Mark Andrews. That that was the Ravens. That was the Ravens slogan this year. At least we have Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews had 1,361 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. Mark Andrews... Whenever the Ravens won a game, it was because Mark Andrews played well. At least that's what it ended up being when Lamar Jackson went out. Because when Lamar Jackson went out, that offense was completely and utterly strived of any players other than Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews was the Ravens offense. And that's crazy because he's a tight end. You do not see tight ends that are their team's offense. Is he the best tight end in the league? No. But I think because of how... I think this season, with how well he played, he has to be the guy over Kelsey. And Kelsey is the honorable mention, obviously. Kelsey, we all know, he's really good. Hall of Famer. I, I think that's I think that's obvious now. He still, he also broke 1,000 yards. And he also had nine touchdowns. but And he also had the playoff success, too. But still, I, I just think with how Mark Andrews, just was the entire Ravens team all year. I couldn't see a way that I would leave him off. Running back, Jonathan Taylor. There isn't anyone else. My honorable mention is Nick Chubb. I think that there's a large gap between the two. Would have been a lot more interesting to see if Derrick Henry kept playing or Derrick Henry was healthy the entire year. I think that would have made it really close between those two. Nick Chubb, I, I I, don't really see who else you could put here. I think it's Jonathan Taylor, big gap. Nick Chubb, big gap. 
And then, like, all the running backs are kind of a cluster then. Then you got Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook. Like, it gets a lot tighter at that point. I think those are really the only two running backs that really change the game for your team, in my opinion, at least. And then, of course, Derrick Henry, but he wasn't healthy this year. Jonathan Taylor took advantage of a great offensive line, a phenomenal offensive line. And, I mean, there was a point in the year where a lot of people were saying, hey, maybe MVP for Jonathan Taylor. And we all knew it wouldn't happen, but it was great to think of it. It puts into perspective just how good he was at one point and how good he still is. Sucks that the team missed the playoffs. It really does. I would have loved to see Jonathan Taylor in the playoffs. Anyway, I mentioned that Jonathan Taylor, a big reason he was so good was because of that offensive line. Let's talk about the offensive line that I picked for this. So my two tackles, I got to put Tristan Wirfs and Trent Williams. I talked about Trent Williams being the offensive lineman of the year. And Trent Tristan Wirfs, I, he was one of my honorable mentions for that, so that really shouldn't be a surprise. Two guards are Zach Martin and Joe Thune, who I think was criminally underrated this year. Huge reason that the Chiefs were so good offensively this year. I, I mean, their offensive line was one of the best, if not the best, at pass blocking in the entire league. And a big reason why was Joe Thune. He was a big deal for this team. Big, big deal. Joe Thune and, like I said, Creed Humphrey, they were able to win on the line of scrimmage a lot, which is an aspect of the Chiefs offense that really helps. I, I mean, it always helps to have your team dominate on the line of scrimmage. But Joe Thune, like, he was so consistent. Like, when pass blocking, the other team wouldn't get penetration ever because Joe Thune, he might have been the best pass blocking offensive lineman this year. He might have been. He was definitely up there. He was really, really good. And then running the ball, they were able to run the ball just behind Joe Thune, behind Creed Humphrey, nearly every run play. That's what it was because they did such a good job. And teams would see it coming. It's just Thune was too good. Creed Humphrey was too good. And center, believe it or not, it's not Creed Humphrey. It's Corey Lindsley. He's He was a big deal, okay? The Chargers offensive line last year was not very good. This year, it was much better because they got Corey Lindsley to come in. And they also got Rasan Slater, who is my honorable mention offensive tackle. And the other one is Whitworth, who, wow, it's surprising. At his age, he could keep doing what he's doing? Like, my God. And then, I mean, those are two polar opposites, right? You got Whitworth, who's 40 and all the way in the playoffs. And then you got Rasan Slater, who's a rookie. And his team just barely missed the playoffs. Very different. Very different story. So the guard, and it sucks that this guy didn't make it on the actual team, but my honorable mention offensive guard is Joel Batonio. But I, I, I thought there was no way I wasn't going to put Zach Martin as one of the offensive tackles, and there's no way that I wasn't going to put Thune. I thought Thune was way too good. Joel Batonio, I think it's arguable, but I think Thune needs more respect, so I decided to give him that respect by putting him on the team and leaving Joel Batonio out. Other guard, Kevin Zietler. The Ravens knew how to use him, man. The Ravens, they like to, you know, have that pulling guard. And Zietler is still one of the best at that. It was easy to forget how good he was at pulling because the Giants never used him in that way, which still bothers every Giants fan. I live in New York. I know how how pissed they are when they see an offensive lineman, a position that they're severely struggling in, 
leave and become very good with another team. They were pissed about Eric Flowers being really good, and now they're pissed about Zietler being really good. But Zietler was good before he went to New York when he was with Cleveland because they just kept pulling with him, and he was a great pulling guard. They went to the Giants. They never pulled, so it was just a waste of talent. Zietler went to the Ravens, and now he's good again because the Ravens like to pull. Zietler is a great offensive guard because when he he's the bet he might be the best pulling guard in football. He probably is. He's probably the best. I'm trying to think, who else would it be? Yeah, he is the best pulling offensive lineman in the league. And I know this because I, I was watching film of him earlier today to make this list. Whenever he pulled, he would just wipe a dude out. It was insanity. Right, there's a lot of good lo- guards in this league. Like I'm looking right. Joel Batonio's great. Zietler's great. Zach Martin's great. Joe Thune's great. Like you, there's a lot of really good interior offensive linemen. And then Creed Humphrey, he's the honorable mention center. Really good. It sucks that I left Jason Kelsey out. It's really tight between all three of the centers I put, right? Corey Lindsley, of course, Jason Kelsey, and then Creed Humphrey. It's really tight. I could see any of those three here. All right. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Edge, Miles Garrett, that's not a surprise. TJ Watt is the other edge. That shouldn't be a surprise. I'm not elaborating on that. But I will talk about the honorable mentions. Nick Bosa, not, I don't need to elaborate on that. But Max Crosby, he's someone that gets a lot of slander, and I don't see why, right? I understand, yeah, you know, he doesn't get the sacks, but he gets so many pressers. He is almost always in the quarterback's face, even though he doesn't get the sack. He's still affecting the game by getting presser. 80 pressers, like that's a big deal. And it seems like almost every play, he's in the quarterback's face. He is a great pass rusher. Just because he doesn't get sacks doesn't mean he's not actually good. I shouldn't, I, you wouldn't think I would have to point that out, but you'd be surprised by how many people just think, oh, no sacks, I guess he's not good. Well, he has like six sacks, but the problem is he, he doesn't, he doesn't get as many sacks as, like, a T.J. Watt as a Miles Garrett. So when you put him in, like, the same caliber as Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, that's when people really start to get mad. But if you watch Crosby play, even though he's not getting sacks, he has just as much of an impact on the game, if not more, than Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett. Now, my interior defensive one, of course, you got to have Aaron Donald. He's the most dominant defensive player of my generation, maybe the most dominant player of my generation. And Jeffrey Simmons had a breakout year this year, showing up and being so good. He's His presence is known upon every defense that the Titans play against. He is great. He's a great pass rusher, right? He had 53 pressers this year, big deal. And he's a great run stuffer, too. He's the whole package, right? When a defensive tackle can not only defend the run well, but then also get to the quarterback, that's when it becomes a big deal. Because it's one thing if a quarterback's getting pressured off the edge, right? Like, that's already bad enough. But if the pressure is coming, like, from right in front of them, how do you expect them to make a throw? They can't. That's why it's such a big deal when Aaron Donald is putting up the numbers that TJ Watt is, when he's putting up the number that numbers that Miles Garrett is, because he's doing that while being directly in front of the quarterback. And 
Jeffrey Simmons has potential to be the next, like, star interior defensive lineman, star interior pass rusher, which is something that's super rare to get someone that can not only stuff the run, but then get to the quarterback. Like, that's rare. And when you have it, your defense becomes so much better. Honorable mention, Javon Hargrave used to play for Pittsburgh, and he was really good with Pittsburgh. Now he's on the Eagles, and his talent is well-known upon every team the Eagles play against. He's a He's been playing the role that Fletcher Cox can't anymore because Cox is getting older, and it's hard to expect someone to be able to, to do what he's been doing for their entire career. Hargrave has been able to pick up for that slack. Hargrave is... Hargrave is no joke, man. He's one of those players not many people know because he's a small name, but he is super good. And then another player, small name, interior defensive lineman, Kristen Wilkins on Miami. Super good, man. Not talked about enough. Not talked about nearly enough. He had 89 tackles, 16 tackles for loss. This guy hasn't talked about enough. I'm telling you, he's... Kristen Wilkins is a player that no one really expected to have some crazy breakout year but here he is he had a breakout year and it was under a lot of people's radar because he plays for Miami of all teams but he's a stud man he's a stud he might not be the best pass rusher but what he's able to do against the run is just phenomenal and he he was so consistent for the Dolphins throughout the entire year so my linebackers now right I only have three of them Fred Warner's one of them he he's amazing. He can do everything that you want, right? He's smart. He gets to the running back quick. When he gets his hands around a the guy, they're going down. Very good in pass coverage. And like I said, super smart guy. Great tackler. Really just everything you want from a middle linebacker because he's able to do every aspect of linebacker. He's there's not a single thing that you want a linebacker to do that he can't. He plays sideline to sideline. He's great in zone coverage, great in man coverage. He could do a little bit of everything. And that's something you want from that guy in the middle of the field because it makes sure that no play is breaking out super long. Because when you throw a screen pass, it may go for sometimes against bad defenses with bad linebackers, that screen pass can go all the way for 80 yards. But against San Francisco, they have Fred Warner, who will make sure it goes for at most seven yards because he's going to shed blocks and he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that play stays a seven-yard, six-yard gain. Micah Parsons talked about him, not going to talk about him anymore. Darius Leonard, he's my favorite player in the league. Eight forced fumbles. Four interceptions, that's 12 total turnovers that he forced. He's a freak of nature playing linebacker. He's incredibly quick, very good in coverage, great at blitzing, just every single thing. He's a specimen that has great technique, mainly because Eberflus does a very good job teaching his defensive players. You know, that Colts defense is very simplistic. In terms of what they do, they just keep showing cover three, and it always works because Eberflus does a good job coaching these players up. And now he's on Chicago, but Darius Leonard, 
makes it so you could do the simplistic stuff because he's just so talented and the rest of the defense too is so talented and so technically sound you could do whatever you want just you don't need to go out in some crazy stunt to try and confuse the offense because your players are just good enough and Darius Leonard is one of those people that's just better than the other team you don't have to fool the other team if you're just better than them and Darius Leonard is just better than the other team he'll make the plays that when the defense needs to make plays he'll consistently get the tackles that he needs he's a monster he's a physical specimen he plays sideline to sideline he's insanely fast for an inside linebacker or just for a off-ball linebacker he I'll say it again he's just a physical specimen he's more athletic than you Whenever he's on the field, he's one of the three best athletes there, at worst. Honorable mentions, Demario Davis. He's been a key to that Saints defense for a while now. Roquan Smith, a young guy who, another guy who's very fast, and he's smart too. And now we're going to see... Eberflus with another very talented linebacker with insane speed. We're going to see another linebacker go under Eberflus's wing with the talent to be an all-time great. And like I said, it worked for Darius Leonard. Let's see how it works for Roquan Smith. I'm expecting a breakout season from him. And then a, a name not many people expected to be here, but Devondre Campbell. Randomly breaking out was had a very good season for the Packers. A key reason that the Packers defense has been able to be so consistent throughout the year. Key reason, just a random breakout player, but he's been playing well, man. 145 tackles, like that's no small feat. Cornerbacks, I was talking about this guy earlier, AJ Terrell, monster, and then you also got Jalen Ramsey. Either of those two are the best cornerback in football. It's hard to tell, but I'm leaning more towards AJ Terrell. They are both very good, though. And honorable mention to J.C. Jackson, Marshawn Lattimore. A lot of people are going to question, why is Trevon Diggs not here? Why is Trevon Diggs not here? He was, I get it, right? Ball hawk, gets interceptions, forces turnovers. Yeah, cool. But he let up way too much yardage. Way too many completions. I cannot put him here in good conscience. Because I don't think that he's a top-four cornerback. I don't think they had a top-four caliber season. Hell, I don't even know if I think he's top-10. Because when... Cool, the interceptions are great, whatever. But when you are that much of a liability in coverage... No. No, you're not an an all-pro. You're not an all-star. You're a flashy playmaker. But I don't care if you're flashy. I want you to be good at the sport. And the key, the key part of being a cornerback is coverage. If you're bad in coverage, you're not a good cornerback. Just as simple as that. Luckily for Trevon Diggs, he's able to make up for his lack of ability to cover with insane ball hawking ability. But I don't think that you can be as bad as he is in coverage 
and still make it on this team. So my two safeties, Kevin Byard and Devin McCourty. Devin McCourty's an old man, right? The, these are two really old safeties. But McCourty, oh, he only allowed a 27% completion rate. And Kevin Byard is also really good in coverage. McCourty may be old, and Kevin Byard may be old, but they are so good in coverage, and they are so technically sound, even though they're not fast. They're not overly strong. And, you know, like I said, old, they just can't really keep up. They still get the job done, man. Honorable mentions Justin Simmons and Buda Baker. Those are the young guys that are quick, that can really make plays. The other two, they're, they kind of just, oh, you came into my zone? You're not getting the ball now. I'm going to lock you down. The other two, but the two honorable mentions, those are like the quick, speedy guys that can just make plays. Buda Baker and Justin Simmons. That's it for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope you guys enjoy the Super Bowl, right? I'm excited to see how that goes down. I'm excited to talk about it next week. I I can't believe this is the last episode of this season. I hope that you guys enjoy the Super Bowl, man. See you next week.